Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Susie Q, and you are listening to Why Are People Into That with Tina Horn. You know, you can listen to every single episode on whyarepeopleintothat.com. So go do it. You're listening to episode 20 of Why Are People Into That, also known as the final episode of season one. I'm your host, Tina Horn, and my, 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 2014 has been a wild ride. In case you were confused by all those times I used the editorial we, this podcast is just me, Tina Horn gabbing and writing and booking and engineering and editing and wordpressing and social networking my little heart out to bring you the nerdiest, sluttiest conversations possible about sex, kink, gender, and love. Speaking of love, if you love this podcast and you're looking for something to do while you're in a tryptophan colonophan haze at your family's house, why not write a review on iTunes? I do it for the podcasts I love because I know it really helps creators out with visibility and all that jazz. I really do care what my fans have to say, so let me know what makes you hard, what makes you wet, and how the podcast can improve next year. The first season of Why Are People Into That would never have been possible without Smitten Kitten. They began supporting the project when it was just a twinkle in my eye, and they have decided to support the 2015 season as well. What's that? Thanks to progressive Midwest sex toy retail superhero Smitten Kitten, you're in for another year of fantastic guests analyzing the hell out of their favorite perverted subjects. I would not lie to you, I really think you should check out smittenkittenonline.com for high quality dildos, feminist porn, instructional books, and everything you need for all the bad, bad things this podcast inspires you to do. My guest today is Melissa Jira Grant, but just because you can't get enough of ladies with three names, I'd like to give you a little preview from a conversation I had with Rachel Kramer Bustle. I love books, so every so often I like to give a little space to amazing sex writers to talk about their new books. Rachel actually gave me my start in publishing fiction back in the day, and she has a new book of essays out called Sex and Cupcakes. Okay, so Sex and Cupcakes is a, uh, a collection of essays, yeah. definitely some uh, sexy stuff, as is in the title, um, but it's it's not erotica, uh, it's nonfiction, um, and uh, it's sometimes political, um, sometimes social, sometimes personal, sometimes about technology, um, uh, and uh, sometimes about 
what it means for you to be a sex columnist and also a cupcake columnist. Um, so tell tell me a little bit. I mean, the the title essay is so interesting, and I would recommend it. To, I mean, I'd recommend the book to anyone, but um, I I really loved learning more about you by reading the Sex and Cupcakes personal essay and. Um, I would just love it if you would talk a little bit about um, uh, the sort of the parallel that you draw between these two things that you've written about and what are, how are they similar and how are they different, Sex and Cupcakes. And it's interesting, uh, 10 years ago, exactly, I mean not to the day, but <laughs> December 20, 2004, uh, I started a blog about cupcakes, Cupcakes Take the Cake, that is still going on. Um, and I still post on it. And 2004 is also when I started writing column for the Village Voice, and mm. I got a job at Penthouse Variations. So my life was kind of becoming a lot about sex writing and a lot about cupcakes. And uh, the essay and sort of my point with the title is that those are not the entire two sides of my life, but sure. to some degree they're about these dual or seemingly dual sides of like, writing about sex, which has, I mean, I think, I would like to think I've always been fairly open-minded about sex, but writing about it in such detail for such a long time has opened my mind a lot more to the variety of sexual experiences that are out there. Yeah. And I would say that's been 98% positive. <laughs> and I think that, though, the Sex and Cupcakes essay kind of alludes to the 2%, or, you know, whatever, that, that is a little bit less positive because I think that if you do anything professionally associated with sex and whether it's, you know, participating in sex for work or for pleasure or, like, being outspoken about I host orgies or whatever it is. Sure. Or you write about sex or you're, especially if you're female-identified, I think that you get tagged with this label that for a lot of people isn't automatically a negative label. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a negative label, but... Sure. Um, oh, you're talking about stigma. But I think that there's this that idea that if you somehow associate yourself with sex in a public way, then you want to have sex with like everyone you meet, want to talk about sex with everyone you meet, that you... that that your boundaries, that your personal boundaries are non-existent somehow mm, mm. um and also i think there's this sort of this idea that oh well sex sells so that's easy so you're sort of taking this easy way out of not really tackling harder issues and mm. i mean to me writing about sex and exploring like all the areas that sex touches that touches every area of our lives so i think this yeah. idea that sex is like in the corner over here and is only about this one thing when really it's about everything i mean it's about having sex but it's also about gender it's about feminism it's about you know career like it's about so many family like it's just about all these different topics so why are people into cupcakes i think people are into cupcakes not necessarily sexually yes, although no, no. um because i think people are kind of you can be selfish with a cupcake. You don't, mm, you know. I love that. You And I think that, like, there's nothing wrong with being selfish sometimes. I think, like, we're sort of so, like, oh, we want to share. I mean, I love sharing, but, like. 
if I have a, like one cupcake, I'm probably going to eat that cupcake, you know? And I, I usually if I am going somewhere, I will be bringing cupcakes. So I will be sharing them in that sense. But like, I don't think that you should have to share your like one little cupcake. Like, the point is that it's an indulgence. It's this special thing. And if I'm with someone at a bakery, like we're each going to get the one that we really like, like you mm. can pick what you want and it's this sort of specialized treat and I don't think for most people a cupcake is something you eat every day like and if I ate them every day I would get sick of them one time long story short I was bringing cupcakes to a concert and there were lots of hours that passed and lots of walking around and I ate like a ton like I ate a lot of cupcake over the course of a night because I was picking at them and then and I felt really sick by the end of the night. Sure. Like, I ate too many cupcakes. So, I think so there is there's such lessons a thing. in moderation to be learned from cupcakes. And I think sometimes you see places with huge cupcakes and people are like, that's too big. Like, you want it to be this yeah. small indulgence. Yeah, I remember. But special. Is, like, it, you it, know, not just, like, here's just whatever flavor. Like, I, I always get confused when people are like, oh, you can bring me any flavor. I'm like, what does that mean? Be more specific. Which one do you want? I remember going with you. I think it was before um, the In the Flesh series oh, at Happy Endings up. to some Lower East Side yes. bakery. Sugar, sweet sunshine. Probably. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, and uh, I was early, and I went along with you, and your process of picking out <laughs> the variety of cupcakes was uh, so <laughs> meticulous. You want you were sure you wanted it to be, and they they were you know you were gonna share them. They they weren't. It wasn't like you were picking them out all for you. You were like, well, we need to get this kind. We need to get well, this much. In that sense, it is kind of like sex. Like people have really <laughs> specific preferences on certain things, and True. they like what they like, and that's like. And it's also, I mean, I'm not gonna try to convince someone. Oh, you should like this chocolate peanut butter cupcake because I like it. I mean, I don't care if you like it or not. Like, and I, I think sometimes people think that about both cupcakes and like sexual practice. Like, oh, I'm into spanking, so I want you to be in spanking. Like, I don't really care because I don't, I don't know fuck. you. Yeah. I mean, like, it's cool if you are, but I don't have any vested interest. Even or even cupcakes. People are like, oh, I don't like cupcakes. Is that okay? I'm like, it's fine. I'm not gonna not be friends with you. I'm not like judging you based on your dessert preferences. Rachel will be back to talk about why are people into erotica next season. Also coming up in 2015 is Morgana May talking about cross-dressing, Nikki Silver talking about unshaven girls, and much, much more. So, I've read a lot of books about sex work, and I even wrote one. It's called Love Not Given Lightly, and it's coming out in April 2015. But I have to say, when I read Playing the Horror by Melissa Gira Grant, I made all kinds of noises like, ah, mmm, uh, uh, ooh, and why didn't I think of that? And ah, uh, that's what I've been trying to say for years. Besides writing that incredible book, Melissa is a prolific journalist and advocate and tech-savvy babe, and I was especially excited to interview her, even though her cat, Valerie Salamis, hid from us the entire time. So, fire up your clunky, ancient webcam and set up your livestream feed for Why Are People Into Cam Girls? Um, that's very sweet. Um, 
So Melissa Jarrett Grant is a journalist and a writer. Um, written tons of stuff, but most notably, I would say, um, wrote this amazing book called Playing the Horror that um, came out earlier this year. And I, I don't, I don't think anything uh, like it has ever been written about sex work. Um, wow. I, 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 I love that yeah. book. Everybody that I talked to was like, no, this is, this is the book. This is like, it's a complete game changer. And, and it's also, <laughs> it's also short. Yes. <laughs> just, yes. And has really well designed by Verso. And it just, um, uh, I don't know. I think it was the kind of thing you're supposed to be able to stick in your back pocket and not have to have the same tired arguments over and over again. Yeah. Like I really wanted to be like, oh, it's this thing again. It's this person saying, you know, um, I don't know, like, I, I sat with, I literally made the book out of, like, index cards of fights I didn't want to have anymore about sex work. Yes. So, yeah, and then, you know, it's supposed to be able to travel out into the world with you, so you don't have to have them yourself either. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I definitely felt, um, in that, and also the interviews that you have been doing this year about the book, that you're articulating so many things that I have been trying to figure out how to articulate for a really long time, so... Uh, bless you for doing that Thank work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what are you working on now? Uh, right now, I am wrapping up a feature story, which will be coming out in the next few months, uh, about one of the anti-prostitution organizations in the book. And after that, um, another book. Cool. Yeah. Cool. But more, more long writing. Even though the book feels very long, like, you know, I'm a creature of the internet, you know. I, I something about the book though made me realize I can't really write anything less than several thousand words anymore. So I'm trying to like stretch out and write more narrative work, mm. um, but that also still really journalistic and, um, you know, I just like talking to people. I like you know getting yeah. to sit with people even if I wildly disagree with them and and give them space to tell me what they're all about. Yeah, friction creates energy. Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of being a creature of the internet, mm -hmm. I know that a lot of your work is about the intersection of sex work and uh, related uh, subjects of uh, politics and sexual freedom um, with technology. Um, and I've seen a lot of your writing about um, how uh, the intersection of sex work and the internet um, and so I really want to talk about, uh, why are people into camming and why are people into cam girls and cam shows and, um, jerking off to live sexual entertainment, uh, videos and all of that. But, um, uh, let's start with the article that you wrote about, um, really early cam girl culture that you sent me today as my yes. homework. <laughs> I totally, <laughs> I totally read on the train like I, a good student. I totally assigned reading for the long train ride to Brooklyn because that's what the train is for. <laughs> yeah, so I wrote a, I wrote a piece for the um, net art website called Rhizome. It's interesting. Rhizome has been around just about as long as, as camming has been around. Mm. Um, and they're an archive of digital art. And so I wrote this piece for them in the context of um, cam girls is creating digital culture. Um, you know, mm. I first got online in 1994 and just the idea of even putting an image on the internet in 1994 was still something you really had to labor to do. Yeah. So fast forward to 98 and that's when we have the launch of the first, uh, 24 seven 
live webcam site mm-hmm. uh, or 90, 97, 98. Like I, I'm not sure exactly, but it, you know, it wasn't that long after even this thing called the web was a part of anybody's daily life that yeah. we got to the idea of a person putting a webcam in their home and pointing it at themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And those were the people who taught me what the internet could be, mm. to be honest. You know, I mean, I did spend a decent amount of time, um, you know, reading things on the internet, but it wasn't really until there were individuals sharing elements of their lives in that kind of immediate way that I understood what the web could be about and I wanted to be part of it. So the very first website I made was was a webcam site because mm-hmm. I wanted to be part of that culture. Like that's the other thing about early cam culture is it felt like, um, you know, it wasn't like broadcast, you know, it really yeah. was like peer to peer. You make a site, your friends make a site you link to each other, you learn from each other. You know, we all kept journals, which in the beginning were just like hand updated HTML journals where you'd have to like hard link the time and dates to each other and create your own archives. So like when something like live journal came on the scene in 99, that was another game changer. All of a sudden we had this like networked journal system. Um, And that's, those communities are are what I think of when I think of like the beginning of the internet. Like, you know, we understand this now when we think about social media that like what gets people to come to a website isn't how beautiful the tools are, but the people mm. who are there and what they're telling you. Um, and cam girls served that function in the early internet. Even now, though, I think um, people forget about that. And when you say cam girl to somebody, they probably think of like. I don't know. I was going to say iFriends. Even that's an outdated reference, right? Like maybe Jasmine. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't even know what iFriends is. Yeah. iFriends was one of the first sites um, where you could sign up as a paying performer. This mm-hmm. is the other thing is in the beginning, this was totally non-commercial. Even though there was like the commercial porn web starting right. and people like Danny Ash with Danny's hard drive, like you would yeah. get people creating their own solo performer sites and then sharing content with each other. Um, even cam girls who had paying sites, they weren't necessarily porn sites. Like there might be nudity, but you, what you were purchasing was, you know, really patronage of this person. Yeah. Um, and that, that is something I think that is hard to imagine now, you know, that someone would like hand over their credit card, not even for the promise of porn, but just for the promise of getting a faster refreshing webcam image of someone's life. Yeah. Well, that was one of the interesting things about the article. It barely talked about, um, the the pornographic or the or just the the sexual aspect. It was more like uh, people being interested in just seeing each other's lives, like voyeuring into each other's lives. There were like lurkers who were voyeuring, right? And mm-hmm. then it was mostly it seemed um, this cam girl culture was about uh, like women sort of like putting the cams on each other. Um, all all the time, like not necessarily like the cam is on. Now I'm doing a show, uh, looking at the camera, like looking through it at the person mm-hmm. who I know is on the other side. But just like I have this on while I or a mix. I mean, I think that some people would do shows, but what we meant by a show is really different. So like someone like Anna Vogue would do periodic shows, but it's not like they were announced. Mm-hmm. You just kind of had to catch it. Mm-hmm. They're available to anybody, and she wasn't performing for one individual. Yeah. You know, it was more like performance art that just happened to have a webcam on it. And was it sexual? Um, 
I don't know, like, is someone pulling a tampon out of themselves and showing it to you sexual? <laughs> is somebody topless sitting on a cake sexual? Like, I think that, like, Amazing. part of... What, I guess that's the yeah, wrong question. Part of what was going on there was sort of, like, pushing those boundaries. I mean, you, you could see people masturbating. You could see people having sex. You could see people sleeping naked, walking around the apartment naked, doing their dishes naked. Like, right. because it was, like, 24-7... It started to break down some of those categories. Like it was very hard to be like, well, when is the sexual stuff happening, and when is like the rest of your life happening? Which yeah. was super fascinating to me that like that that was a business model for a minute. Yeah, you know, it like really in a way like I look at things now like I keep using this example, but I love it still is the the porn performer Stoya and her Instagram feed, which is you know oh, yeah. very rarely even features her face. It's usually like her cats in her house. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of functioned more on that level of, like, you're getting the, you know, I think some people who were there for a sexual performance looked at the rest of it as sort of the window dressing or the backstory to that person's life. Yeah. But that's what keeps you coming back, you know? But the, okay, so Stoy's Instagram feed is free. Yes. And Stoy's Instagram feed helps to build her brand, presumably so that you will that she will stay legitimate as a as a porn brand that people will that digital playground will want to keep contracted and people will want to continue to you know buy her um you know uh, what is the the cyber skin pussy of yeah, yeah, yeah. and the cyber yeah. skin butt of uh, or the fleshlight or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. um and uh and and her movies um but so were you you were saying in the in the article that you sent me that um that most of the early cam girls weren't charging for the right to see the videos of them going about their daily lives unless it was explicitly pornographic. At which point, did I understand that right? Kind of. I mean, some people did because of, I think, paywall issues and age access issues. That right. was one reason, I think, that you would put things like that behind a paywall. Um you know, it was still an internet where you would more you would see that more often. Of like, you have to be eighteen to click here. Like, I feel like yeah. you would see that even in a non-porn context because we were sort of like, well, is what we're doing porn or not porn? Um, and when it comes down to like things like you know record keeping or federal law, like right. I might just be like, I'm hanging out in my house naked doing my dishes, but like that's still something that somebody says. Uh, should only be seen by people age 18 and above. So right. that that forced a certain practicality to like where people kept their content. Um, I'm just wondering if people were uh, were making livings. Oh, some people that. were. Not yeah. as many. Um, yeah. I think as you might think looking at the sites. Like that's the thing too. Like just because somebody had a membership section and just because somebody was taking money, like yeah. who knows how many members they actually had. Um, but I think that at the time it was so unique yeah. and you weren't competing with things like jasmine.com or right. iFriends or whatever like there that that didn't exist yet and so for people who had that desire and i think people have always had the desire to have some kind of personal connection yeah with whatever erotic entertainment they're connecting with right that like that was fulfilled by this but also like a many other things were fulfilled by this mm -hmm. like there mm -hmm. were so many other things going on here and so you know i definitely my community my slice of it were people who for sure identified as sex workers or had done some kind of sex work mm. and so they brought that to what they were doing on cam but i'm sure that if you ask the average person average woman who had a webcam in that period if they identified as a sex worker or if they were doing sex work or making porn they would probably say no 
even if like you know they were posting kind of pinuppy photos of themselves right you know and charging money for it it was like no this is just my personal expression well isn't it interesting it also becomes it opens it up to i think of it as so fetishistic because mm-hmm. if you think about paying to be able to tune in to watching a girl that you find attractive eating soup or vacuuming or mm-hmm. doing the dishes in like maybe naked or maybe in some state of undress maybe looking at the camera or maybe pretending the camera isn't there mm-hmm. there's so much fetishism and in so that. domestic right yeah. like that this is an era also remember 19 and 2000 camera phones aren't a thing right so you know it's all very intimate and indoor um, I remember watching someone's cam for the first time. It was, it was Anna Vug who got, um, had a laptop with like, you know, some kind of like wireless card in it that she was paying some exorbitant data charges for in 2000 uh, when she went to South by Southwest to accept an award uh, for her website. And, and she was like laying on the grass with her cam. And it was just like, you know, Wizard of Oz when the color comes on all of a sudden. It's like, you can go outside. Oh my God. You know? And she probably had some like Wizard of Oz like Technicolor filter on it too because this is the other thing is like this wasn't about like an unmitigated, unfiltered life. Like we were all like messing with filters, messing with like angles mess like i cam girls invented the high angle selfie like this is like we (laughs) realized very quickly that like a camera mounted to your laptop was a pretty hideous angle and so like you know people were getting external cams and tripods and placing things in interesting places in their apartments there's one Mm. woman i knew who had four cams on pan tilt on remote so she could like actually you know almost like surveillance style but most people didn't do that it felt more intimate you know someone would drag it over with them while they were sitting on the couch whatever. So it, it was just a different visual language. It was a different kind of project. But I think without that, we wouldn't have Jasmine. We wouldn't have this, like, very commercial, very transactional kind of thing where, like, in some ways it feels like you have more freedom. Like, if you're only – if you're clocking in and clocking out, that's a very different relationship to producing something on cam than yeah. having something on 24-7 yeah, in is. your house. Yeah, so you know you just you're on in a different way. In a well, it's way. it's interesting though because it doesn't sound like there was that much interaction between the you know the subject, mm-hmm. the um, you know the cam girl, the entrepreneur, um, right. the artist, um, with the audience. So in a way, if you are interested in doing that and able to compartmentalize it, it's basically like you're just doing your thing mm-hmm. and charges are coming in to, you know, the yeah. credit card processor is, you know, bringing in money and you're like, oh, this here's this just this money I'm getting for doing what I'm doing and maintaining the tech of it. I'd say it varied. I mean, people had IRC chat rooms dedicated to oh, their cams. Yeah, this is like IRC. Uh, mailing lists, mm. uh, like web forums, news a, no news group. Well, there was probably like oh cam girls or something. I don't remember though. I had slightly moved on from Usenet at this point in my life. Yeah, news groups, uh, maybe news groups, but definitely IRC channels that you would like. You would be chatting with people who are watching. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like. It just felt like there was sort of a code of a social code of like you don't order someone around. Like, you wouldn't, like, tell someone to do something. Yeah. You know? And part of that was, like, I think That's this nod great. to authenticity was, like, just, like, this is my life. Like, you're not going to control it. Um, but also it was just sort of, like, 
it it wasn't like a consumer producer or like consumer entertainer relationship you know yeah, it was yeah. it was a little more flat than that and to a degree i mean i also when i say that i'm also thinking of guys in strip clubs who are like oh like i'm not paying you to hang out with me i'm just giving you money because you know i think there was a I certain just happen to have it in, yeah. in my wallet and you probably need it yeah. you, you buy yourself something it's nice not like i need to pay someone to hang out with me you no, know so no, there's no. something but there was something so like you couldn't graft what we were doing on our cams at that point in time to really any other thing offline yeah like it just did it wasn't quite like a peep show right. and it wasn't quite like a strip club and it wasn't quite like art but it was like it was yeah. it just like it was purely its own thing yeah. it really was its own thing and and of course it died and it died when i think a couple of things happened like uh apple laptops started having webcams built into them so it wasn't as special it wasn't as special but also you couldn't do anything interesting with it because it's like in the hard shell of your computer right um some of the software that you know powered our cams stopped being supported mm. by new os's like i still have all my old webcams but i can't do anything with them um, like drivers rocks. don't even exist anymore. Yeah, they're like in a drawer over there, um, just in case. You know, <laughs> after the apocalypse, if I need a webcam, and USB is still supported. Uh, you know, I have hard drives of images that I don't know what to do with. Like these, these, these are artifacts that, like don't really make sense outside of their moment either. You yeah. know, like we all saved everything. That's the other thing. Like we sure. saved everything because your archives were also part of what you sold. Right, 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 and right, and right. so people would be like, "Oh, I missed this thing that happened." Ah. Even if this thing that happened was just you talking on the phone, but whatever, like they wanted to go back and see what yeah. happened earlier. Well, and it, it, the same thing with the way that things have changed. Now you can uh, have you can watch an archive of a live stream mm -hmm. of a lecture from any school in the world, and yeah. just for free all the time. And these are also stills, right? These are stills with no audio. Still separated sometimes by 30 seconds. Wow. So, it's like, it's what like was animating? It's like stop motion animation. Yeah, and people would make little animations out of them. Like, uh -huh. Anna, like Anna did gifts, that. Yeah. yeah, it was like a little a little video that you could watch, like a quick time, you would just dump all of your images uh -huh. into. But, I mean, it was, I don't think that it could have continued, but I think what's interesting is it existed sort of alongside the porn industry and the convention, the online porn industry, and the conventions of it that, like, you would be personality driven, mm. you could be a total weirdo, and that would be part of your marketing. You were mm. encouraged, to be, encouraged to be very individual, encouraged to have direct contact with your fans, encouraged to kind of personalize your interactions with them. Um, that, you know, what you were selling wasn't just like your body or a pretty picture, but it was like the whole image and persona yeah. that came with that. Like wow. that feels like that just, it certainly existed before then in, you know, kind of even the golden age of porn, right? When you first right. get porn stars. Yeah. But this created so many hundreds and thousands of more stars, yeah. you know. This and self-made stars. Self-made stars. This is this is the age of micro-celebrity, as Terry Semt put it, when she was right. writing about cam girls, that, you know, you could be famous to 15 people, you could be famous to 150 people. Yeah. And and you could still potentially, you know, you still meant something to them. And that and that relationship meant something to you and could even be something that could be commercially viable. Was the same thing were gay boys doing the same thing? They were. I do remember like some early articles like for Salon in like two thousand, two thousand one about boys, but I don't think there were as many. Yeah. And it also may have been outside the US. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't I think it was more common outside the US. So then 
So I have not cammed very much. I would mm-hmm. say of all the things I've done, is probably the thing I've done the least. But um, in 2010, roughly, I um, was uh, looking for a way to make more money with sex work, um, maybe like with sort of different parameters or to reach different kinds of fans. And, um, and I, so I signed up for Skin Video, which mm-hmm. a lot of um, folks that I knew had, um, had were using. And, um, uh, you know, basically the way that it worked was, uh, yeah, I had my Apple laptop with a built-in camera and I made a little profile and when I wanted to be on it, I would log on and then there would be users who had bought um, tokens, right? And so they they would be on and you could, and you so you see the stream of them, of the text of them like chatting, like saying like, oh, like nice to see you, Tina. Mm-hmm. Like you look nice today, mm-hmm. um, or uh, horrible things that <laughs> right. don't sound like that at all. Or like, where's butts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you know the idea was uh, to do essentially a tease, whatever mm-hmm. that your style of tease was, to persuade them to take you into a private room. Um, so basically, you could sit on there chatting with people for however long until somebody takes you into a private room and then when you go into the private room that's when you start making money because they spend tokens to get into the room and when you're and there's like two tiers of rooms right like there's a private room that other people can get into and then there's a more expensive like Like champagne room room. basically yeah um and so um and my and I just uh, I didn't really take to it mm-hmm. because, I mean, uh, I was used to making more per hour, and that I always used to, you know, I would think about it afterwards, and I would be like, well, I just, like, yeah, I'm used to making more per hour, but also like I can just kind of I can like wear, like boxer briefs and a, and a tank top and mm-hmm. like not really put on makeup and and like what am I really doing and I like don't have to see them or interact yeah. with them or anything like that and but then I started to feel like it would be the afternoon I would have gotten some work done and then I would have been like I'm feeling kind of horny I think I should like I should probably masturbate if I want to get any more work done today mm-hmm. and then and I'll turn on the camera and then I would be like oh well I couldn't make 50 bucks while I masturbate, and then I started to realize that, like, my personal time to just mm-hmm. fucking have a, you know, rub one out in the afternoon was starting to feel like potentially something that I could uh, commodify, and mm-hmm. that didn't feel right to me, and I'm sure I could have figured out a way to have better boundaries for it, but I I just, it, um, I could see myself burning out on it really yeah. fast, and it, it, also, it is also sort of strange the strangest part about it to me was always that I would be looking at myself on the, on the video so I could see what they were seeing to make sure the lighting was good of, of course. course and and so I would basically I would kind of like put on a show for myself of masturbating but the interaction with the person was only text mm-hmm. and I felt like part of the reason I wasn't good at it is part of what made me so good at sex work was the ability to like be in a room and like mm-hmm. sit uh, yeah. you know a, on one couch while somebody else sat on another couch much like we are right now mm-hmm. and like read be them there. Yeah. It, you know but also like know 
know how to like be there but also know how to read how to mind fuck them and mm-hmm. what is like written between the lines of their body language and all of that stuff and yeah. I just it didn't feel like sex work to me without all of that stuff it's it's like whatever someone like we were talking about this earlier like how hard it can be for somebody in BDSM to sit there in a pro session and communicate to you what they want yeah and now Matt narrow the communication bandwidth even more so to the yeah. chat window like for me when I would go on I, I mean I remember looking at iFriends back in the day when that had launched and that was like sort of like what made that appealing wasn't these kinds of interactions, which started to become kind of the norm there. Yeah. I do think there, though, it wasn't tokens. I think it was still real dollar value mm. um, that you would see. And I'm sure they phased that out at a certain point because they realized that they could take more of a percentage without people noticing if it were just tokens and not Right, cash. exactly. When it's when the when the value of a single token is different from the value of a of a dollar. Yeah. And also there's people all over the world, right? So there's different currencies, oh, right, so that's right. part of it. That that makes some sense. Yeah. But like on those sites, like it became very clear, even in the early days of iFriends, like two thousand one, it was very regimented what you would offer and I was like well maybe that's easy like how hard is it really to do a three minute dildo show you know like there's a part of me from having like worked in peep shows that like I can kind of tell time by a three minute dildo show like it is just like a quantifiable <laughs> thing can set your watch by it yeah it's just like you know how, you know the arc you know it's kind oh, yeah. of it's kind of like a movie trailer you know it's like in a world da, 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 and then it's and you're out and like it's just like it's got a narrative to it and I feel like that's one th- in a world yeah, of where there's only pussy and women come in three minutes. And then, you and- know, swell of music and Ding coming to theaters. You know, like, that's it. And and so it's 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 like a very, you know, all sex work tends towards a certain narrative conventions. And, sure. and so I Formulas, feel like, yeah. whatever. But, like, how do you do that for, like, 20 people at once? Like, what do you, like, that's, the hustle of it didn't make any sense to me once you leave the one-on-one. You know what I also didn't like about it was, like, okay, here's a scenario. Now we're doing, why aren't they into that? (laughs) (laughs) No, we should, we should, uh, yeah, we should, we should also do the point of the podcast, which is, like, what is the appeal of all of these things, but, um. But it, maybe, but maybe he'll, so to kind of do that then, okay, so are there guys, just as there were guys, I'm sure, who got an erotic charge out of, out of cam girls, whether or not they were doing stated erotic or non-erotic performance. Yeah. You know, there are guys who, not just because they're cheap, uh, will just hang out in the public room because they kind of get off on the public spectacle, right? The same kind of right. reason that guys go to strip clubs and enjoy looking at nude women in front of other men. Right. Is that, like, so that's, like, one thing. And then that, the, but but what it is then to take that person into the equivalent of the champagne room or the private room, that's a different kind of erotic interaction that maybe does take you back more to the old cam girl thing. Like, this is really about you. Yeah. You know, and you're not just doing a three-minute dildo show. But well, you're getting a more of a sense of the person. Well, let's... So let's talk about it from the perspective of the of the consumer. So what is there... What's sexy about interacting with someone you find sexy mediated through the technology of the internet and computers. I mean, no matter what they're showing you, the capacity to build a fantasy around that experience is almost limitless. Right. Right. You have the, you have the perception of intimacy. This person is like literally inviting you into their bedroom, which is very often, you know, even if we might be more and more nude in public, we generally don't carry our bedrooms around in public with us. This is still like a very intimate place to penetrate. Yeah. So you're there with them. Um, 
which is be a whole other topic actually is like the decor of campsites and how that's gotten <laughs> kind of like I there there are days when I've just gone on live Jasmine just to sort of like window shop the rooms and yeah. how people decorate which I think is really an interesting way to communicate your personality or not right, right? Or like to create like a, a very boom space that's like right. this isn't about me you're not going to see my posters you're not going to see my books right I'm just here to do this but whatever no matter how much or how little someone shows you yeah my experience on the internet is like people just insert so much narrative of their own into those gaps sure right so they don't know your real name they don't know where you really live like they can only get so much of you which means that the rest of the mind is free to wander yeah Yeah. and and also free to wander in a way that they don't necessarily have to type or share with you so they get to have a very solo fantasy experience that they don't have to like completely communicate to the other person right um yeah and so in some ways there's like some interesting boundaries to that right where the other person like you know, they don't have to know what you look like. They and you can and you as the customer also, like I I never remember people and I've never talked to cam girls who've said this, like where customers wanted to like send them pictures or tell them how hot they were, or, like like yeah. the, maybe it was like I have a big dick, but short of that or or except if they were like into like cross dressing or something where it was about their physicality. Right. But putting that aside, like they are free to be bodiless hmm. or to be whatever body they want to be. Well, that's, yeah, I see the appeal of that. Right. Um, especially, I, I mean, I wonder how... With the caveat, I've also never really thought about this before <laughs> until now, so I'm sort of just throwing stuff out there. I mean, I'm sure there are there are people who uh, catfish, <laughs> for lack of a better yeah. word, the, their... Uh, I'm sure there are uh, cam consumers who catfish in the sense that they say that they're... Uh, male when they're female or mm-hmm. uh or female when they're male or when they say they have a big dick when they don't or when they say they have a small dick when yes. they don't. No, that 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 was an interesting thing to me. Like very few people lie about being average. <laughs> That's not there's not like a lot of fantasy around like I am completely in the median of penis size. <laughs> Please comment on it. You know, like it's usually I'm the just, other side. I'm just a typical guy. Nothing extraordinary about me. me at all. Yeah, it's always the other, the other extremes. Some extremes. Yeah. yeah, even if their own body doesn't conform to that, but like it's something about hearing, yeah. hearing it. Um, I mean, this is also another one. Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just from a personal perspective now like really into financial doms and their online behavior and how they carry themselves online and how they market themselves and the stories they tell about themselves um and i can imagine for a financial dom this is like actually like a really great business tool yeah because i don't know it is so scripted yeah right there's only really yes there's infinite ways to personalize it but like there's a certain set of core things that people are going to come to you wanting to hear yeah um and i don't know like i just think that there's like there's a way that camming is now starting to sort of like wrap itself around very particular sexual um activities or fantasies like Mm -hmm. it doesn't really work like like i know there are some people who do like partner sex on cam that yes but i feel like that's like far less common than solo female performer yeah, well, I think that there is definitely a convention of um, the first-person interaction of the looking at the person through the camera, right? Um, and that you're real and you're really there and you're not a video, right? You know, like right, that. Exactly. I think is like almost seventy percent of it for some people. Well, right. I mean, there's also an enormous amount of free 
low production quality, zero production mm-hmm. quality uh, videos of people having sex available yeah. on the internet. Right. So the only way that I could see somebody really wanting to include the partner into it is if it was like a specific fantasy about like that. a cuckold, like a cuckold, exactly, or or spying, or girl, or, and, or girl and girl, yeah, yeah, show or yeah, or spying totally. Yeah. But something that was about like the voyeurism of the fantasy or the shame of the voyeurism or the charge of the voyeurism. But just watching people fuck, like I'm sorry, like the camera production values are going to be better in like a porno than it yeah. would ever be on a live cam show. Yeah, uh, or and this I feel like is another appeal of cam shows the ability to tell someone what to kind of show to put on like Mm -hmm. that was definitely something that I experienced was that like people were saying like now do this now do it this way not Mm -hmm. like I want you to do it the way that you want to do it or I'm just gonna sit here quietly fapping while you do your thing it was much more like uh you know like, well, I'm paying you to be in this room, so mm-hmm. I would like to uh, control and manipulate and puppet right. you. So, I, I mean, I could see that also being an element of a show with other people where it's like, now yeah. put your hand yeah. on her yeah. boob. Like, it's like DIY porn. I mean, you like yeah. one way you could look at it is DIY porn. I'm sure a way other people look at it is like, oh my gosh, they're bossing you around. Um, yeah, but potentially, also like, yeah. But you don't have to do it. I mean, that's the other thing that I think is so glorious about online sex work is like, you know, you can always close out that window. That's true. You can always bounce that person from your room. Yes. Um, even though, you know, I've seen really, really horrifying videos of cam performers, like, that people have, like, posted of them, like, crying and upset, like, that, like, you yeah. know, they, like, broke down on cam and someone, you know, captured that and then posted it elsewhere. Like, I know people get berated in their chat rooms. That I mean, I couldn't do it. Like, that's, when I look at it now, like, part of it isn't even the conduct. It's more just, like, the the information overload yeah um you know like managing so many different conversations managing your presentation in the different kinds of windows that you might be in at that time yeah even being on multiple sites at the same time to try to like maximize the number of customers who are coming to you um and then it also sounds like just given the labor realities of cams camming right now you can't just be on one site like you have to have a personal site you have to have a social media presence and you have to drive traffic to your site you can't just guarantee you can't rely on the traffic of a site is going to bring you and then it ends up being such I don't know just such a different job your, your job isn't really just sitting there in front of the camera producing good content yeah you know yeah that um is another thing that makes me ill-suited to it is yeah that I'm really um I am just so averse and like this really really fundamental level like deep in my soul averse to giving uh, social media in the promotion of my sex work persona, mm-hmm. like giving my vacations to that and mm. giving my downtime to that. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's 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 for me. Like, yeah. that's the reason that I'm able to give this, uh, like, you know, unique and uh, extraordinary intimacy mm-hmm. to you uh, is because this this thing is for me. This is not a judgment of, of people who have different uh, boundaries in different places than me, but the whole, like, constantly saying, like, I, you know, uh, like, I'm at the gym and I'm getting my nails done and, like, I'll be yeah. on cam later. Like, I, It's I, too much. I, I just can't do it. You like, have to uh, have off-the-clock hours. I mean, everyone is struggling with this, with the demands. I mean, even, like, people who aren't, aren't in porn are having to figure out, like, 
where does the branding stop? Where does yeah. like the social media content production and monitoring stop? And, and obviously you can you can contrive and invent that. You can oh, yeah. pre-program your tweets. You can just say like, what is Tina Horn doing today? Tina Horn is getting her nails done and going to the gym and just like Auto-post. schedule all of that stuff. Yeah. And and yeah, and like oh compose gosh, a story so. of who you are. I love it though. I love the idea. I mean, because part of what camming is supposed to make possible is an intimate connection with one person yeah. but let's be honest we can automate a bot life for yeah. cam girls yeah you know and it would and it would be perhaps even serving some of the same emotional need yes that people seek well that's the whole premise of the movie her the spike jones right movie, right you know what really screwed me up about the movie did you see the movie i have seen it yeah okay so spoiler hopefully, alert whatever yeah. spoiler alert so they fuck and but kind of because yeah. she's an os yeah so you're having sex with siri kind of but what really bothered me was the next morning um when they're trying to kind of test the waters between like is she still working for him <laughs> Uh-huh. And I was like, that's when it went off the rails for me as a film. When oh, it was yeah. like, oh, so she's still going to be your personal assistant that you just kind of had sex with last night. Right. And you're not going to, like, talk about, like, work-life separation here. Oh, my God. At all. So true. Um, so that was that was interesting, like, just sort of, you know, and also sex bots are always female, right? Like, the, like, right. the technological uh, caretaker of male sexuality. It's just, right. You know, and, and there's a way that cam girls are kind of could become that i'm sure there's very entrepreneurial cam girls like i followed a bunch on tumblr for a long time who you know were trying to always calibrate like how much they could make by how little they did so like could they right could they you know still make a living and just bake cupcakes in their underwear right and not do dildo shows for example you know like how many ways could they kind of personalize their brand but i can also see that being a form of emotional labor that's way more demanding yeah. than just masturbating for three minutes exactly. and moving on with it. Exactly, especially since there's a built-in demand and a built-in value to the masturbation where mm-hmm. you feel like it completely makes... I'll speak for myself when yeah. I say it makes complete sense that somebody would pay to watch me masturbate because that is something uh, precious and rare mm-hmm. and uh, hard to find. Not everyone yeah. will do that for you. Um and, uh, but yeah, finding, like, charging someone to watch me bake cupcakes, I would feel like I would need to be funny, or I would need yeah. to, like, recite um, 18th century British poetry. You need to I be would... ingratiating. I mean, you need yeah. to do, you, you. it's a different kind of, like, flirtation and hustle and sweetness that, like, one of the reasons I really loved camming is because I didn't. You know, even when I was doing pay shows, I only had to sort of present that accommodating side of myself for right. only so long. Right, right, right. right. right and right. so it, it, it's like a high-intensity emotional labor that I think is very difficult to maintain over time. Yeah. And people should probably charge a lot more <laughs> than they are. Yeah. You know, like the idea that like it's somehow like less than in-person work because you're not seeing someone um i don't really buy into that like no, it's still very hard work and and you know it's a lot harder actually to turn off because we're so in our devices all the time i was now. just gonna say you know it's i think it's increasingly true as we have more interactions in that way mm-hmm. like part of what you're describing with the early cam girls is that people didn't have interactions with each other in that way Not so the experience of like watching a girl like with her laptop outside in the grass 
I imagine like part of the, you know, if people were masturbating to that, part of the thrill was, you know, we all know novelty is arousing. So like yeah. the novelty and the mindfuck right. of that was probably a huge part of the thrill and, and, and a huge part of what people were paying for. Whereas now it like, it's extremely commonplace. Yeah. There's nothing new about that. There's, and you know, also there was a, a there was more of a divide, I think then between the ways that you interacted with cam girls and the ways that you interacted with everybody else on the internet. Right? This was a time where like people were this before Twitter, before Friendster, you know, before social media in any kind of real way. Like this was the very beginning of the things that became social media. Right. So the idea that you would be constantly updating a device with your life and it would go to other people. <laughs> I feel like cam girls invented that. Yeah. And and then have sort of been like swept under the rug of convention and now that's like something else. Though it's just so funny because I still think there are ways that performing your life on social media are deeply gendered and we have all kinds Absolutely. of value judgments around the narcissism and, 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 the, and vanity. the vanity of that and the, and the exposure and the voyeurism. Oh, these girls are so desperate for attention. They're posting the, everything they do online all day. And right. it's like, guess what? Now everyone is those girls. Like, everyone is the girl alone in her bedroom telling her story. You're right. When I imagine, like, when I imagine, like, a man taking a selfie or a man being like, like, here's my pet or here's this new thing I bought, like, it, it there's a little bit of a dissonance there where mm -hmm. it's sort of like, you know, those comics that you see where people, like, draw, like, men doing stereotypical female yes. things. Like, men in stereotypical, like, cheesecake poses yes. or, like, male superheroes uh, like in the poses that female superheroes are in. You, right. you know if what I mean? If there's like a gender fuck to you, like, wait a minute, that's not, you know. I mean, I I will say that in San Francisco, though, I feel like those behavior, the gender codes around those behaviors got switched because there was status associated with them. So you right. would see guys preening and you would see guys doing selfies like Jack, the co-founder of Twitter, right, with his like vines where it's just his face <laughs> with the world behind him. You know, it's just sort of like when it becomes like a, a status behavior, then it's like okay for men to do it. Right. And it right, gets right. elevated. But there is still the suspicion that like, oh, this is like something a little like untoward and a little unseemly, which I think is because it has roots in something sexualized and female and intimate that like we still don't really know what to make sense of. Yeah. Like in a way, sites like Jasmine and, and all of the other like big cam portal sites where you can go on and see dozens and dozens and dozens of people, like to me that's almost like the gentrification of camming. Or oh my like God. Yeah. you know, where it's just like let's put this in a really easy box. You know, where you check off a list of the things that you might do and you make your little profile. And everything is just sort of in that site. And if someone wants to interact with you, it has to go through the site. Yeah, and yeah, if you yeah. post links to things outside, they can get taken down. Mm -hmm, like, it's mm -hmm, this way mm -hmm. of kind of concentrating the interaction and the money through this intermediary. Like, we didn't have intermediaries when we were camp girls. So, you know, like, yeah. we, we didn't have to. Like, you would, you know, yes, we, we were reliant on other people to host our websites and process sure. our payments. But, like... These were really, like, solo enterprises, so... Were the credit card companies at the time monitoring what was happening on the shows and censoring them at all because they were... That was just starting to happen. Yeah. Because um, that go... happens in... I mean, that's, like, porn is... Porn industry is, yeah. is uh, defined by that now. One, one of the first people to write about that that I remember was... Uh, Trixie, Tasty Trixie, mm. who's still got a site. She's one of the only people I know who's still got a site from Amazing. those days and still has pe uh, live cams in her house. And it is explicitly a porn site, but she also has, like, tons of personality and her and her partner are on the site together and they're friends. Like, um, but she wrote about, uh, she had a period porn sub-site mm. and that, that ran in afoul of, I believe it was CC Bill and possibly Visa in particular, where, like, but there was kind of a moment 
when I think all of this stuff had yet to be cracked down on. Yeah. That also coincided with the cam moment. You know, this is a time when PayPal act. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Actually was still taking people's adult payments and yeah. not just freezing them arbitrarily. Yeah. Um, and that changed. And I don't know what the change was. I think it was really like, it kind of coincided with um, Ashcroft coming in to yeah. the Justice Department, like, Bush, I don't know, or it was just sort of, sort of like as everything with the internet, it became more consolidated, more monitored. Right. Uh, there was more of a desire to to control financial transactions. So, I I think that um, the cam girl thing just coincided with a moment where things hadn't been quite worked out yet, yeah. and and so there was room for more experimentation. And I would like to believe that there there are people who are ill-served by something like one of these massive cam portal sites yeah. who would like to have something more personal. Yeah. Um, but now it's a lot harder to go out on your own yeah. and create your own business because of the payment processors, because yeah. of the demand. You know, it's so much easier to just sort of, you know, give over a cut to one of these major sites and, and do stuff there. But just from the customer's perspective, like, that's really reduced their options Yeah. for the kinds of interactions they can have with people. You've So you've talked, we, you know, we've talked about cooking and you know making cupcakes in your underwear and we've talked uh quite a little bit about uh period porn um but i'm wondering if uh either in the early sites or from what we see now if also part of the appeal of the campsites is more quote unquote extreme imagery Mm -hmm. um or you know even just uh, maybe the more uh appropriate word would be specialized like you know uh, there are certain things you can expect from mainstream porn, um, having to do with heteronormative ideas of, um, uh, of what sex is, um, or, or even in gay porn, Mm -hmm. um, uh, certain ideas of what sex is. And then there are certain kinds of of fetish porns that, that, that's produced and those tend, I think, by nature to be more individualized. So I'm wondering if there is like a, um, a market for somebody who's like, I have a, you know, a specific thing that I like that I really love to see or love to do that I mm-hmm. never get to see in porn and that I either don't have it in my life or I can't get a girl who looks like you to do it in mm-hmm. real life like is that something that is happening on cam I think that people could do that but you probably wouldn't be able to find enough customers to support it consistently right that's that's sort of the hard thing about this too is like you know say you for whatever reason, whether it was your personal inclination as a performer or your particular boundaries as a performer or just yeah. what you were interested in at the moment, um, wanted to just offer one particular fetish sure. service. Like balloon popping. Balloon popping. Like sitting on Yeah, balloons. then that's all I'm going to do. And and just silver balloons. No color. <laughs> right. I'm just going to pop silver balloons. Like that's kind of this like, you know, Warhol kind of thing going on. You're gonna, <laughs> 
cover your apartment in tinfoil and oh have my God, big I mean, silver that, mannequins everywhere. I actually, think it would be makes, really cool. That makes me think of um, of the Warhol movie Sleep, right? Which yeah. in a way is like this sort of precursor to the like the still... mind fuck of just watching someone sleep. Yeah. Because that's what a lot of there's the a, cam there's a shows were to as well. this. Yeah, it's yeah. Very, it really it's very meditative. Like, and I think any kind of like solo porn like when 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 what you're producing is just you as an individual body like it becomes so much more fetishistic sure because there's something about it like we so still think of sex i think as something that's partnered and even if you as the consumer believe that you now and this person are having a partner sex experience right i think when it's mediated by the cam you can only really go there so much right that's kind of what i was saying before yeah. where there's something always fetish feeling yeah. about the sex even if the interaction is the most like vanilla. vanilla basic thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that like that it's really just probably connecting the person who wants to do that one specific thing with enough people to support them in doing that one specific thing. But that's true in any kind of sex. Yeah. Work. I think you could find it. But I think that these big generic sites really sort of cater to a lowest common denominator. Right. Not that the performers want that, and not that the customers want that, but that's, like, how you get people in the door. It's like, I'm attractive, I have breasts, I have long hair, I have my makeup done, and I have a tasteful dildo over here. Like, (laughs) I feel like that's sort of the, like, if you want to appeal to all kinds, that's sort of, like, the basic thing that these sites market and cater to people, right? Even if, like, once you actually talk to that performer, they have many more things going on. Yeah. There's something, I think... You know, you, you see it everywhere in the sex industry. It's like there's a desire to kind of like draw someone in but not turn them off. Yeah. That ends up creating its own normative ideas of what sexuality is, even in a sex work context. Do you think that it's easier for a consumer to dehumanize the subject of the, of the cam show when it's a cam show and that it's not in real life? Or if you do you think it if it is easier for them to dehumanize them, what is the appeal of being able to dehumanize them? I mean, what is the dehumanizing like from the per- performer's perspective? Is it dehumanizing to have somebody who doesn't know you or care about you tell you how to masturbate and then leave three minutes later? That actually sounds like the perfect customer. <laughs> oh yeah, right. So there's like one, there, like it sort of like confounds our ideas even of like what dehumanization is. Like there's a certain it's kind a of like well boundaries dehumanization that actually like is what allows you to you know, continue to show up to work every day because you're not having to, like, give your whole self. Like, yeah. you're just giving a part. Like, Anna Vugo always used to say, like, you are not looking at my life. You are looking at a picture of my life. Please note the difference. Like, if you're a barista, a customer comes in, treats you as the person who is going to take their money and make your coffee and then leaves, is that more dehumanizing than coming in and being like, oh, like, what's your name, sweetie? Like, do you have a boyfriend? Yeah, like, like, what's your favorite movie? Like, I see that you're wearing blue. Is blue your favorite color? That's too much. It's like too much TMI for that interaction. You right, know, and I, I would argue yeah. that that's more dehumanizing because it's dehumanizing to assume that you have more power over someone than right. you than they have actually given you. And that, like, somebody is going to perform emotional interest on command, right? right? I think that's, that is the common thing across all service work, including sex work, where it's, like, you know, being asked to sort of step up and provide emotional comfort beyond what baseline emotional comfort you've offered. I mean, at Starbucks or wherever, we the emotional comfort we want and can reasonably expect is the person's not going to spill the drink on me. Right. They're going to, like, take care of me enough that I don't walk away with third-degree burns. But other than that, like, 
you know, that's it. I mean, you can't even make sure that person didn't come to work today with a cold. Right. Because you don't know if they actually have sick time. So it's like, to, to go to the cam thing again, I think, what would feel dehumanizing as a cam performer, in my own experience, and one of the reasons I, I wouldn't do it again, um, because the internet has changed so much, is the ability for people to capture and replay shows without your consent. Right. The idea for people to edit and display your image in a way that you didn't consent to. Right. Like, you know, it's... Many people would say, well, whatever, those are just pictures of you. But it's like, we don't actually think that anymore. Like, no. we know how how powerful that power is to represent someone else. Yes. And to control the context. That's and so right. that's where I think it's like, I would, like, I was reading a lot today before before you came over about revenge porn. Um, oh, and this uh, writer who I absolutely love, she's one of my favorite people, um, not just because she's also got a good legal background. But also really good politics around around what we mean around revenge porn. Uh, yeah. Sarah Jong wrote a piece for The Verge today about um, about online abuse on Twitter, and then was like pointing to a couple of pieces around revenge porn that she had written um, in light of that, and just like kind of the ways that we're talking about how people are treated poorly online, um, and and how a lot of the ways that like we think of abuse when we try to create laws around them. Yeah to prevent people from being abused don't really match uh, what's actually going on. So, like, with revenge porn, for example, like, you know, where people think the injury is isn't the moment when the picture were taken. Because the moments the pictures were taken could have been, like, super consensual. Right. The moment of violation is how they were shared. And Um, that reminds me a lot of the cam thing. Have you seen the movie Notting Hill? No. I was suffice it to say in a situation recently where I sort of uh, was not able to escape a Mm -hmm. room in a family situation in which it would have been untowards for me to suggest that we stop watching um, uh, such claptrap. But uh, that is like my least favorite, like that kind of romantic comedy is like my least favorite thing in the entire world. But I was like... I was waiting for you to be like, and there was a cam girl at the end. And I would have been like, what? There's not a cam girl. I can't remember when that movie came out, but I uh, I think it was the 90s. Um, I'm picturing like British floppy hair. I don't know. (laughs) Like, okay. So in the movie Notting Hill... Uh, the sort of, um, uh, like, turning point of the movie... Okay, so in Notting Hill, Julia Roberts, the movie star, plays a uh, Julia Roberts-esque movie star who falls in love with a uh, with Hugh Grant, who plays a, uh, a like, uh, ordinary uh, fellow who mm-hmm. works in a bookstore. Uh, and it's like a clash of two worlds, right? Uh, and, uh, and she is... Uh, the the turning point of the movie is she is shamed because what is the worst thing that can happen to an A-list, high-prestige movie star? Celebrity nudes? Celebrity nudes are printed in the tabloids, you know, and this mm-hmm. is, like, not, you know, this is not sports. British tabloids. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, like, again, I feel like this movie came out in, like, 97. Yeah. So it's, like, instead of them going up on Reddit, they go up on in the tabloids. Right. And it's, like... And then she is so distraught, and she comes in and she says, I was I was young, and I was desperate, and I needed the money, and yeah. they, you know, they started taking these pictures of me, but then what I didn't realize is that there was a video camera there, and they were basically making a porno, and then they've released the porno, and it's like, yeah. what, were they making a porno? Like, Was of, it a porno? Were like, you just standing around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it, like, a blow-up? Like, what? You mm-hmm. know? And, uh, but the... The point, and of course, I'm like sitting there, like I 
don't yeah. want to watch this movie. And I yeah. can't say anything right. about what's happening right now. But the thing about it was that the worst thing that these writers could think of that could possibly happen to this woman would be that nude pictures of her were uh, discovered. It was discovered that she had once taken these pictures. Right. And so she is to blame for having posed with right. pictures, which of course is the same thing everybody's right. fucking saying the, about Jennifer Lawrence right. and everything And the right blame now. isn't on the people who leaked them, the blame isn't on exactly. the way that they were used without what she had consented to. Exactly. Like, at the time, like, there was an interaction, she made the money for, like, providing the service of posing with her clothes off, and then, like, the way that they were used later mm-hmm. because of who she became uh, was... Exactly. Right. Like, that is the ethical violation. Well, this, I mean, this is like the anti-sex work politics in real life, where it's like right. people who don't even identify as sex workers in this instance, a fictional Julia Roberts. Mm. Though fictional Julia Roberts probably has stood in for all sex workers more often than any other individual on the planet. That so, is a really good point. Like, putting that aside. That is a very yeah, good point. Yeah, it's really kind of absurd. So fictional Julia Roberts playing another Julia Roberts, photographed, and then the photographs are shared. Like, you know, she... It's because we have this 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 assumption that we're raised with this assumption that, that anybody who sells sex has no limits and no boundaries. Exactly. That they can't have any limits or boundaries. So therefore this isn't a violation because this is somebody who has no boundaries to violate. Right. Exactly. And even though she wasn't a sex worker, that ends up being what's weaponized against her to excuse the people then. Right. Who who shared these photos. Like I'm waiting for a revenge porn case with a cam girl. Like, yeah. I'm waiting for a revenge porn case where somebody was like, I made these images commercially to be used in this particular context, mm. but what I didn't want them to be used for is X. Or, like, I sold these images to be on this website. You know, it there it becomes almost like a contract violation, too. And exactly. and, and I know that people don't want to, like, they, that feels, like, cold to some people when they think about, like, revenge porn being, like, kind of a violation of content and not a violation of an individual. But the violation of the content is the way that the individual is violated. Do, can you, uh, has there been, I haven't heard of any, um, but, or do you think there will be in the future a case in which someone, uh, let, let's say, let's say me, let's okay. say, uh, I, um, uh, when I'm in my fifties, um, get a, uh, social work job, uh, working with at-risk street youth and, um, many of whom are probably, uh, doing sex trade by the way yeah um and uh and then it comes to light that there are uh images of me uh having sex and doing bdsm that are online forever that i was paid for um Mm -hmm. and that i consented to do um and i'm i'm fired from this job um do you think that there will ever be a time when i can say that was consensual and legal and there's no connection between the fact that I did that in the past and the and my ability to do this job well. I mean, they're essentially trying to use those photos in the same way that we that revenge porn is used. Exactly. Right? And yet there your recourse is probably around employment discrimination. Right. Right. It's I think that there's a way that we get our ideas of what revenge porn is and how it hurts people wrong because we want to believe it's like an injury to the body or the self because right. sexuality is so wrapped up in the body and the self. I mean, that's right? what, you know, that's when Jennifer Lawrence is now in tasteful half nudes on the cover of Vanity Fair right. saying, when you look at those pictures, you are 
perpetrating a sexual offense. And that that might be true for her. Yeah. But yeah. the but the reality is like that's not going to be the same experience for everybody. Like even somebody like even if you were a celebrity and your nudes were leaked and you took them at a time when you felt great about them. Right. Our culture is it's such a a misogynistic place around this that I feel like you have to sort of play the good victim. Right. To, right, right, to right, right. survive that. I feel like that know? sort of happened. Well, Madonna probably didn't apologize, but there was definitely a point where like art nudes that she had taken when mm-hmm. she was like a 20 year old dancer in New York right. were then sold and printed in, I want to say Playboy. Right. And then Madonna's like, whatever, or you could just buy my book. Yeah. Where I'm so nude, <laughs> and I nude will and get the dirty. royalties. Right, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know, like this is. Um, as we were talking about my interviews at the beginning, so I don't feel like a total ham for bringing this up. But like, I I was asked to do a photo shoot recently for um, for a French newspaper, um, and and the the journalist. It was very unusual. The journalist like was like hanging around during the photo shoot. Um, and like commenting on it and commenting on me, um, which is just so strange. And so what I said to her, I was like, well, well, have you never had your photo taken professionally? Like, Hmm. like she was basically trying to say like, well, because you've done sex work, then like you have this like whole other kind of, you know, need to control your image. And I was just like, no, sex work taught me how to ask for my image to be presented, controlled, displayed, redisplayed, profitable. Like, it gave me a sense of control that this isn't just a one-off thing. You have a picture of me or you don't. Yeah. Like, my consent doesn't go away mm-hmm. when I stand in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I still have fine-grained choices here to make and assert and defend and protect and reassert, uh, which I had to several times in the shoot, you know, when I didn't want to pose the way I was being asked to pose. Sure. And I was just like, oh, right. Like, I am so used to, from the sex industry, like where you think I have no boundaries, Mm. you know, and also having worked not for, like, major, major, major companies, like, working for people where, like, I think as a model, the producers are so green that they were sort of like, thank you, please run this shoot, you know? Um, I don't think this is the case across the board, but, like, you know, the the monolithic presumption is that, like, you have no control once you get in front of the camera, now everything is being taken away from you. Right. Um, And here we are in this completely non-sexual context. Right. And she's expressing all this shock that I you know, might want to be photographed in a certain way yeah. or like might not want to pose with that prop or might want to hold my jacket open or closed, you know, like yeah. very basic stuff. And I was, she's like, Oh, you're so controlling. And I was like, no, I have boundaries, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So I just, I, I, I had did a talk a couple of years ago at a sexuality conference for youth. And we were talking about kind of all the panics online around, you know, sexuality and, and, and images, particularly images of young people, uh, being spread online uh, without their consent or or even stuff that they had taken with their consent but then being shared non-consensually. Right. Um, and sort ways, of the definition of revenge porn. Of revenge right? porn, yeah. And like also people kind of like, you know, asking them for these images or trying to coerce them into sharing these images when they didn't want to. Um, and what I tried to communicate to the room of, of adults, teachers, social workers was, you know, I understand that this seems scarier when it's on the internet, mm. but you have to understand if someone engages me with these kinds of requests that override my boundaries online i can like i said earlier close out the window yeah if it happened to me in school if it happened to me at my job i don't you know the power dynamics are really different yeah and and so you know there is something that like even though we have like more distance from these kinds of requests because of the newness of the medium they seem scarier right i mean there 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 are like stories from the 1940s of like warnings about the telephone 
being dangerous for women because male voices might enter the house unannounced, right? Like we do this, we do this with every technology, every form of communication media that's different, you know, whether that's like mass produced novels giving women like bad ideas about romance and men, um, or whether that's MySpace, you know, like, so I, I just, I, I look at at cam girls and, and porn performers online more generally as people who are sort of at the vanguard of saying like, here are the choices you have, how to use this technology, here are the Mm. things you can assert, here's Mm. what your boundaries could look like in a way that, that people who don't engage with those, Mm. like, and see them in a kind of monolithic way, then don't understand that they themselves have choices. Like, I think that like civilians could learn a lot from how cam performers display themselves online, what they share and what they don't share, and realize that the stuff is not like a one-way, on-off kind of switch. And, and, it, and rather than stigmatizing them, opening up their skill set and valuing that and saying, like, what can we all learn? What can anybody who uses the internet to talk about their life, which is like many, many people, um, could learn from how cam girls negotiate consent and boundaries? All my heroes are whores. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like to think that maybe customers learn a little bit by I'd modeling, like to, you know? I'd, like I'd the, like to think so, yeah. Like when, when someone, you know, I know people might be fearful of saying like, oh, I don't want to sell someone, I don't I do not do that because I don't want to lose their money, mm. you know? It's like, okay, well then, you know, get improv. Yes, and. Yes, and let me do this other thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, also, yeah. like, when someone hears you that you have boundaries, like, yeah. I think that that's actually... People like that. Yeah, I think that the customers can, you know, learn through example, um, and, and that that is part of the kind of like low key sex ed that sometimes happens in sex work, even when you don't intend to do it. Um, so I don't know, like, I don't think of it as like a free for all thing, even though earlier we were like, oh gosh, these people just log in and say whatever and do whatever. <laughs> it's like, it may be a free for all compared to how it was, yeah. but it's still not. It's still so mediated that you can always close out of that window. You can always kick that person out of your chat room. You can yeah. always go to a different site. Um, and it's still just a picture of you. It's not you. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I so speaking of the line between um, sort of using technology to uh, connect either in an uh, intimate or exhibitionist way or or both um, with other people versus um, turning it into um, a consumer product or a service that you're that you're providing. Um, you know, I had this experience once uh, where I went on an okay Cupid date um, with a guy and slept together once. And then after that, he we would like dirty talk over text, which I, which I loved, but I always saw as like foreplay for, and so now we should like meet up now. And by the way, mm-hmm. we both lived in New York City. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then this one time he was like, oh, I'm actually out of town, but do you want to Skype? And with this is after, like, mm-hmm. having one date, right? And, yeah. like, some interactions where I was like, seems like we had a good time. Yeah. Like, perhaps we're going to have another date. And so he was like, uh, do you want to Skype? And I was kind of like, okay, that's yeah. cool. And and then we Skyped, and he was definitely, like, t- d- like taking us there with the dirty talk and being like, yeah, like, let's, like, masturbate for each other, like, on the Skype. Video and, and audio Skype? Uh... Yeah, he claimed to be in, that was like kind of the rub, so to speak, is like he claimed to be at his his friend's house upstate. So he's like, I really want to talk to you, but like, let's be quiet because I'm just in the other room and my friends are like in the other room. And so 
it was also kind of like... Well, is it like video plus typing? Yeah. Yes. It was video plus typing. Or is like video plus... Like, we were like on on laptops with then uh, texting on our phones. Oh my god. Anyway, the point of my story is that about halfway through... I can definitely imagine a scenario in which mm-hmm. this would be mutually beneficial for both people. Right. But I just... I happened to like be sort of... It happened to not be what I was into in that moment or at mm-hmm. that time. And I like kind of started losing interest. In it. But then I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just sort of like continue this. And then all of a sudden I was like, man, I feel like I'm completing a transaction. Mm-hmm. And you know... That's like a red flag for me mm-hmm. in my dating life when I feel like I'm working for mm-hmm. free, yep. um, you know, which happens from time to time. Yep. I'm like, and you probably, that's a sign that you don't have very good boundaries or yep. that we're just not very compatible. So anyway, we like uh, jerked off together. Um, and then afterwards, he was like really evasive about like actually having a date. And I uh, confronted him about it. I was like, clearly... We have chemistry and you're interested in me, but, like, what, like, don't you want to, like, do it? Yeah. <laughs> like, in real life. Because I'm, like, DTF and, like, yeah. I'm not going to try to make you my boyfriend in case yeah. that wasn't, like, entirely clear. And he was like, oh, well, I just prefer it this way. Like, don't you think it's kind of more pure when you don't have to, like, have small talk and you can just, like, get to what you both want. You're like, and, we could do that in person, too. Well, but he didn't want to do it in person. I mean, he ah. essentially just wanted to... He really did want, like, a free show, right? Like, yeah. he wanted to masturbate. So he wanted to have complete control. Because yeah. that's the thing. That's, like, the elephant in the living room that we haven't talked about with all mm-hmm. of this. Is that this is, like, a sexual... For the consumer of the, of the cam show... Like, the cam show is masturbation material for them, mm-hmm. whether they're actually masturbating while they're watching. Or filing away Or filing later. it away in the spank bank, yeah. right? So, for him, he would rather... It was more exciting for him to, like, watch me masturbate, and also for him, I'm sure, there was an exhibitionist quality as well, where mm-hmm. we were, like, voyeuring and uh, exhibitioning each other mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, over the, over Skype yeah. or G chat or whatever um he would rather do that than actually have sex well here's here's my questions for him <laughs> if I, we you know, have questions we have questions sit down question time <laughs> how many other women or people sure. are in his rotation for this sure how many other people has he sort of met in a context where there's an expectation that you will have an in-person date and in-person sex right that are he's sort of like keeping in this rotation of just online sex. Right, because the issue is the false pretense. Exactly. Right? Like I like it it does not matter to me in case mm-hmm. anyone is wondering. You can have as many like Skype date rotation people as you want if that's what we both want. Mm-hmm. But you just got to say to me that that is what you want. Right. And not treat somebody like they're there to provide free content for exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. Which is what it feels like. And, like, I think that that's, you know, again, not something that people who haven't performed on cam might not be attuned to what Clearly. is going on there. Clearly. Um, but I, there are absolutely people out there who are like, why should I pay for it when I could just have this sort of right. rotation of people? Um you know, it's like just be a straightforward. Like if somebody, if that's all that they want, like yeah. why, why not just say that at the beginning so that there's no kind of like 
hesitation around like how transactional this feels and now because here's the thing he's like oh i don't want to have small talk i just want to go in fine then that puts all the work on you exactly to manage the, tra- the relationship exactly no matter how small it is so i think that 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 no when when people are saying like i want something no strings like there are no free no strings in this world yeah. very rarely are there <laughs> like in in certain ideal fuck buddy hookup situations i think there can be but sure. most of the time there's there's some strings or strings that people ignore temporarily but eventually <laughs> yeah. rear their head yeah. so like even if the strings are just like like in this interaction like all of the dirty talking and and you know even like planning like what bar are we going to meet at is all for me to get what I want, which is to, like, get off with another human in yeah. a room. And I'm not talking about, like, I need to wake up as no. a little spoon, you know, or I need you to, like, buy me dinner or anything like that. No, like, I, I just like, want to, like, fucking, like, smell and fuck and have, like, you know, that's right. that's just what And then it feels sort of embarrassing, it would to me anyway, of just, like, why did we even pretend we were going to go to a bar? Yeah. Like, was that just foreplay? Was that texting foreplay? Like, what was I think, that? I think, it, I think it was. Which is a him. kind of fantasy. Like, I, I this is a, a very, very watered down version of the girlfriend experience fantasies i i get off on planning dates i won't go on like that's (laughs) that's a thing i guess maybe or maybe he's just scared and fearful and nervous and doesn't i mean that's my like benefit of the doubt but the reality is did not give him a chance to you know (laughs) but whatever like me to psychoanalyze him i was like people are not going to necessarily want to help you through your process when you are deceptive with them so i mean that person is an ideal cam customer right he should just do that um, I said, but I said that to him. I said, you know, there are, and he, I, you know. Oh, of, you did not, did you? Oh my God, I, what happened? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I did because, you know, part of what is a- appealing to me about using OkCupid for casual sex, um, besides the fact that uh, there is no such thing as a, a queer all genders grinder yeah. yet, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it is that I don't. Um, like, if I'm just having casual sex, even if it's, a, like, an ongoing... Hopefully, it's an ongoing fuck buddy thing because mm-hmm. then you, like, can get past that initial you stage of, like... keep doing that first date. Do we date. want to? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, by the way, we don't have to small talk. I can just come over and then leave. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. like, part of what is appealing for me about that is uh, sleeping with people who don't know about Tina Horn. Yeah. Right? Like, and if... And I don't have to be, like fetishized or like yeah. deal with any of uh or, or explain things to them or deal with being yeah. shamed or deal with being put on a platform um and uh and so so yeah so then when he uh, he was telling me that i was like well you know there are like people who are professionals and he was of course he was no. speaking of horse shaming he was like that's so gross like i'm 25 like you know he didn't say like i'm like young and good looking and i'm make a la- i'm in a band you know yeah like, but it's like I well look who's just walking out the door now because she doesn't want to do it for you for free you exactly know? no i i i found that i couldn't do online dating at all even though i'm, I'm totally a child of the internet and like you know I just couldn't do it because it felt too much like work. Mm. It felt, you know, the, both in the activities, like going through emails, answering emails, yeah. clicking through things on a website, looking at forms, coming filling out with, forms. Coming, yeah, exactly. Like coming up with your projection of yourself that will attract the kind of person yeah. that you want. Picking the pictures. Right. Finding tasteful photos, but maybe not necessarily the same photos I use for headshots. And oh, all my sex work photos are cuter, but I don't want to put them on there because of Google reverse image search. And, you know, it's like all of the maintenance of keeping this thing going was just like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. And, and I think there's also coastal variations. Like, I feel like I actually enjoyed it in San Francisco in a way that I didn't enjoy it in New York. Um, 
and I don't know what that's about exactly, but it, there was something about the computer mediation of it that was just like, this This reminds me too much of work. Um, you know, I don't even know what Skype sex would be like or cam sex would be like in a non-commercial context mm. um, because it's been such a part of my life as something, and not even when it was commercial, but just like it, it's something that's actually not even for me going back to the late 90s, like, most people I knew were not on the internet. Right. And most people I was engaging with on the internet were people I didn't know. Right, right, So right. it was, what you're doing there is not about building your brand as mm. you. It's not about, you know, social capital for your future job. It's not about um, even finding cool people to hang out with where you live. Yeah. In a way, it's about kind of inhabiting a you that's like you plus one. Because the plus one is all of the fantasy of the other people that they're projecting, which I would argue we actually do to the people we know in our real lives, which too. Which is kind of what, going back to yeah. her, like yeah. that's kind of what that movie was about, yeah. right? Like, they're, they're perfect because the projection can hold all of the perfection that a human being can't, right? Right. And I mean, people talk about this with like, you know, Instagram, fear of missing out, everyone's lives look better. Right. And like the thing that's looking better is that's that plus oneness that makes camming sexy, that makes any kind of like having a crush on an internet celebrity no matter how minor appealing right because you would never want it to come to fruition like i i i met one of the cam girls in real life who i adored super smart person we're still in touch just got a facebook message from her husband the other day about his new film like i follow their kid photos on instagram this is somebody i met on the internet in 2000 um, someone who, when she met me at the airport, brought a, a, a piece of paper with my, my live journal name on it. You know, Aww. like, this is, like, the very first person I ever met from the internet. Um, so it's not to say those relationships aren't real, but it's, like, they're at a certain bandwidth. You know, like, right. they only know what you can you can share in the confines of what you can share. And I think that, you know, fantasy is is the common element here, and not in a not in a, a way to kind of knock fantasy, and not in a way to say that fantasy isn't real. It is. It's deeply real. Like if it weren't real, why would people be seeking this out and right. spending so much time and money and emotion on it? Um, you know, I it makes me actually wonder what's the balance and camming of where people are actually making their bread and butter living. Is it the one off people, or is it the few people who become very fixated on you and come back again and again as regulars? I mean that yeah, that's also true of other kinds of sex work and yeah. true of the kind of niche stuff that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Like there may only be one silver factory balloon uh, obsessive, right. but that person is like you're the one and if you found your people yeah you could be fine yeah or then kind of the flip side of that the person who's like not that unique not not that differentiated i mean everyone's unique but you know (laughs) not that not that market differentiated (laughs) and and is just the thing that that person who found them is into yeah uh for whatever reason whether it's like she mentioned a band that he likes once you know, whatever, like the things that people they build a personal that. connection on, you never know. Um, and and then they just keep coming back to that person. Much the same reason with the dating. It's like, why build that relationship over again? Yeah. Why go out, you know, once you find your person, you stick with them. And, and you know, it's just, I think that um, it's sad that that guy that you met was like, oh, I don't have to go online and look for it. Yeah. Because it's so stigmatized as like, oh, I shouldn't need to do that. Like in a way that's like even more stigmatizing than prostitution because it's like, at least there I'm really getting off. This is kind of this weird thing, you know, but like you would think that in the world that we live in and and the the way that the Internet matters so much to us and Mm. the way that we're so 
a culture of, of branding and image that this would sort of become even more socially acceptable and maybe it has maybe he just had a problem with it like i don't know like yeah who knows uh, what the guy's i i would love i would love to have some research on like you know what um what kind of the demographics are for these sites and and how often customers come to them and Mm. um and kind of what role do they sit in their life because i'm betting that they actually don't just sit in the slot called the pornography that they masturbate to they occupy some other parts of their life too it makes me also think of um, the classic thing that started to happen with the internet where there you you know you would like send away for like mail order panties mm-hmm. i'm i'm thinking of that of the movie little children oh uh, i don't know that uh, where kate winslet's husband is like obsessed with this woman who you never actually see like who is behind the mm-hmm. persona of this woman but um, she will send him dirty panties and he will like talk to her online while he is wearing the panties on his head and mm-hmm. masturbating. So there's the like scent, the mm-hmm. like physical presence of her from but the who panties. who knows who it is. Who knows whose panties those are. Right. That's yeah. the other thing. I mean, the, there's a whole other trade on the other side where that person could be acquiring the panties from other people. And then, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it just goes all the way down. Like, I, I was just going to say like one of the things that, I, th- I thought differentiated my life online from my life in the cam days is I felt sort of freed from the constraints of persona. But it's really not true. I don't think any of us can escape persona online. Yeah. And I think that, like, what camming does is just puts, like, a very particular set of behaviors around that mm-hmm. that, if anything, like, clearly demarcates persona and its worth and how you kind of operationalize it. Yeah. And makes it so much more obvious. Like, so I think what I've actually missed is sort of, like, the obvious markers of where is persona and where is, like, the real me, whatever the fuck that is. Um, and I think that that is an experience that's, like, really generationally shared. Yeah. You know? Not even just generationally. Like, you know, generation ahead of us and under us. And maybe even another one under us now. Like, of, of trying to sort of, like, figure out, like, where those boundaries are. Like, in ways that may even become imperceptible at a point. You know? Like, I think of, like, campsites where performers can actually, like... I don't know how accurately this works, but you could like block the IPs of certain states hmm. on the premise that you wouldn't want people in your home state to see you. Wow. Now, I don't know if that actually works and sure anybody could connect on tour and see anything yeah. that they wanted to. Um, but I think it's there's I, I'm waiting for that leveling moment where we start to get stories of men who run across people they know in real life on campsites. Yeah. And because it has to be happening tons. Yeah. So where's the her about that? Like, where's, yeah. where's the New York Times modern love about that? Like, I, I'm waiting for, like, those stories because, like, there's well, so many Well, they just had people. that Caden Cross one, so we're not oh, going right. to get another sex worker one for, like, five years, probably. Yeah, I don't know that we had Stoya at the beginning of the year. Like, I think that, like, something... I think something at the, at the Times in particular is opening up. But I think that, like, you know, it's still... This 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 phenomenon, I think, is even more taboo than sex work because it's not about sex worker as this particular kind of person over here in this box. It's about the blurring and the and the and the the, the unreality of that box. That like the computer is the box actually, and you could find anybody through that computer, and it could be the girl across the hall, which then sounds like a porno, right? <laughs> like I went onto the campsite and oh, it's the girl across the hall I always had a crush on. And then like, do you continue the show or do you there, go across the? You hall? You know what? There's a there's a movie called The Girl Next Door. Of course. That is about 
a porn star moving in next door to this teen, I think he's a mm-hmm. teenage boy, or in yeah. any case, he's, like, a very young boy, and that, I haven't actually seen it, so I yeah. can't, I can't report on <laughs> its, uh, horror-shaming, uh, yeah. uh, score, yeah. um, but I'm sure it's... It's probably, moderate yeah. high. Yeah. Well, also, you have the age difference there, I'm presuming, too, which yeah. is a little, you know... I mean, yeah. But I then just, he, he discovers she's a real person. Of and course. And they fall in love. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she leaves porn and goes... I'm, I'm sure she does. Goes sure to grade she... school. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's so... Yeah, that, that, I feel like, that's, that, for me, when I look at, like, the particular flavor of, of horse shaming and, and horse stigma that we live under right now, it is a, it is not because sex workers are gross, damaged, dirty people. Mm. It's because there's a growing cultural awareness that sex workers could be anybody. Mm. And those boxes and boundaries are breaking down. And people have anxiety around. And they have anxiety about it. Yeah. Because it, 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 it is no longer truthful or no longer plausible with the internet as charlotte shane has said like that like you know sex workers are like this invisible voiceless other yeah it's just not the case anymore yeah and and i think like for me when i look at things like the crackdowns on craigslist and Backpage and all of that like i think that's part of it like they go after those sites because those are sites where sex work is occurring alongside other kinds of labor and other kinds of transactions right um and that's that is much more scary, much more. It provokes much more of a not in my backyard response mm. than like a site that's purely smutty. And I wonder if that's also part of the reason that cam sites, as they were, untenable because it did blur those lines. Yeah. And it was saying this person that you can see naked may or may not charge for it, may or may not also be staring at their computer six hours a day. Mm. I mean, the most common thing you would see on one of those sites would be somebody's empty desk chair. And yet, people went back to them. And, yeah. and and they went back to them maybe for the fantasy that a person would occupy that chair, which then kind of, you know, if you get six hours of chair but a half an hour of human, it makes a half hour of human girl all the more tantalizing. And but there's like a scarcity model, or yeah. yeah. And now yeah. we now I don't think we can pretend to scarcity anymore. I mean, like yeah. it. This is the other thing that I think that is could potentially make camming more valuable is like. You know, if tube sites continue to kind of dominate and decimate the porn industry and right. you can get pretty much any kind of free porn that you want, right. the thing that you still can't get is an interaction. Right. And so perhaps that will increase the value of, of cam performance because now it's fulfilling something that, you know, even free porn can't fulfill. You know, we were just talking about um, Sadie Loon's movie, mm-hmm. Baby You're Frozen, um, which is not about camming, but is about having... Skype sex with your lover who is in, on another continent, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. It it makes me think about how uh, you were saying that you just like can't get in. If I understand you correctly, yeah. you just like cannot get into Skype sex. I can't even imagine. Like I haven't. <laughs> I can't. I'm like, have I even tried? Like maybe once a long time ago, but like, I. You're I, also talking to somebody who like had her first online sexual experience on like IRC. So, like, text is sort of, you know, there, there can be a whole other thing about, like, how text is even quite liberating for people. You know, when yeah. you talk about being bodiless and accessibility well, and right, beauty. Right, like, like, dirty talking on Gchat while you are at work. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, th- I think that's great. It's yeah. a great little, you know, way to kind of chip away at the money <laughs> that you are it would supposedly be... <laughs> you know, producing value for somebody else but really what you're doing under your desk is, is texting somebody well god i would i i wish that i could um i could do like gchat shows in the way that i do like consultations where people are like these are the words that i like 
so how can I dirty talk them? And I'm like, really? You need me to do the mad oh libs gosh. for you? It's amazing. It's fine. Yeah. There were, and I don't know if they exist anymore, but I remember seeing ads for them on kind of like adult jobs boards in the like early 2000s. For some reason, they were all British, but uh, sexting services, essentially. Yeah. So what you would have... I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah, Yeah. what you would have is is you would sign on to a service, just like a phone sex service, and in your browser, you would be texting, you would be typing what would then go to people's mobile phones, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and then getting their responses. So that did exist for a minute. I'm sure that it was something that was very quickly phased out once people could actually, like, watch porn a video on their phone. Um, But you would think that because of, like... I mean, no one would know what you're texting. Yeah. You know, you can, exactly. it, it would, should be actually far more portable. And easy to delete. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I or think... to save and look back as, you know, as like erotica. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's all, there's a the general sense that men are visual and women prefer stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's exceptions to both of those generalizations, but, um, I, you know, I think there are people who like video and also like, you know, the, the sort of video interaction or like images. And then there are also people who like to read. Yeah. And also things. it just hits different parts of you. You know, I think that like, it's just a different experience to read something. There are people who are just better typing. Yeah. You know, than they even could vocalize. Yeah. Like if they were verbal. I mean, that's one of the other kind of things that I love about watching campsites, even just as like a total drive by voyeur, um, is the the disconnect between um, watching someone type, watching performer type, and then speak. (laughs) And so you're like speaking your responses to things that people have typed. That was But then you might be like that behave. That is such a cognitive like rub your belly, pat your head. There's a complete cognitive dissonance for me. That's another reason I didn't like it is that, you know, so like, let's say like you're you're a customer who's like in my chat room and I'm sitting there and you type in like, Tina, I really like your butt. And I say, oh, thank you. But like, who knows? (laughs) They don't know that that, oh, thank you's for them. Right? They don't know. Well, I would probably say say their username. username. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I would be like, oh. See, I would be like, how many of the things that I say could I say in such a vague way that everybody would think it was for them? Yeah. And Giggling then... usually works for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, um, it's weird. And voice would take it to a whole different place. Like, yeah. you know, I think that there are people who probably think that just posting photos of themselves online is anonymous in a way mm. that once your voice is there and your movement. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a fine line, too. I think photos also exist in perpetuity in a way that, like, a video maybe. Well, a, vid- a, a video is, um, is visual. So going back again yeah. to why are people into... Uh, cam shows, um, you know, it's it's a it's a visual uh, performance, but and there's movement, um, but also there's the. I, I mean, I can imagine that in a, in some cases you could like turn off the video or close your eyes, and then I guess it's essentially uh, phone sex. Yeah. But uh, but even those two things combined, the video and the talking. I mean, mm-hmm. I can definitely like imagine a cam show where I'm just like looking into the camera and I'm just like spewing out. The dirty talk that somebody yeah. wants to hear, and maybe not even doing anything, yeah. but like a woman talking to you in that way mm-hmm. is. But also, you might like how thing. someone looks, but you don't like their voice, right? Or vice versa, right? You know, and then also there's different voices. Like yeah. I know very few people who don't have a slightly different voice in sex work. Oh, like God. a slightly different register, or, or, or a very different, or multiple voices. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that that would be interesting in the in the cam setting too. Is like, is there um, 
you know, how much mileage can you get out of your voice if you just want to be about your voice and your physical presence? Yeah. You know, and maybe that's more for the fine. I mean, the financial doms, like, that's like 80% voice. Yeah. Of what's going it's on like in those hypnotism. videos. It's like Yeah. Yeah. It's like voice and maybe my shoe. Maybe the sole of my shoe. <laughs> I love it. I had a, I had a friend um, who was a content manager at a major content site and he had the job of filtering content that may or may not have been adult. Mm. Um, and this is kind of the other area that I think is really interesting. That It's something that didn't exist online when campsites, webcamming started, but certainly does now. Um, and something that cam performers have to navigate around is like there's so much online video now, right? Like all of the right. cam girl stuff is pre-YouTube. Right. And even if you were going to put a video on the or internet. Or clips for sale. Or clips, oh, certainly. Like, so the idea now that like you as a porn performer or a fetish performer particularly the fi- the financial doms, right, where you might not be taking your clothes off at all. It's right. all psychological. Or, like, yeah, lots of, of fetish stuff. Right. Like that. What's yeah. keeping you from putting that on YouTube? Does it technically violate the terms of service? Right. And so there are people there now who have to make that call. Right. Human beings who, who right. do the work of making that call. Like, does it belong here or not? And, you know, I think it's it's a really interesting judgment call because, like, the, the, the kind of parameters they have to answer to around is this adult content or not mm. are quite different than I think what most people would think of when they're thinking of like what's porn or not. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of fetish stuff gets a pass, even though so you know that what's going on here is absolutely about arousal. Yeah. Right. But like there's something about also them not wanting to be known as the platform where that happens. Like, I feel like Tumblr is one of the rare exceptions here where like Tumblr is just like, please post your porn gifts. Like, (laughs) come do that. Um, (laughs) Which is really interesting. Uh, But I think what, what so so surprised me now, the biggest difference from the cam sites to now is that there is this expectation that you will be on social media in spaces that are not adult. Yeah. And that, will coexist and you know it's so interesting to me to see like you know people i follow on twitter sex workers i follow or are there on twitter posting their you know political thoughts linking to the bullshit of the day whatever chatting and with their friends the and then the you see, i'm on iFriends now yeah, yeah come yeah. see me on iFlirt and it's totally. just like <laughs> like here we are it that that is totally something interesting for me like yeah. uh you know i mean we could have like i'm sure we could have a whole thread of, of yeah. conversation about uh, tweeting as a as a sex worker yeah. but like yeah when I started my Twitter like five years ago I was like oh this is really just sort of like a way to let people know what is updating and yeah. what I'm doing and it's just like a promotional tool mm-hmm. and now I finally am using like Tina Horn's ass mm-hmm. as like more of a actual social networking yeah. tool yeah. instead of just making media that right, right. like seems to be social yeah um and yeah and like being like a uh, sex worker rights and mm-hmm. like you know not necessarily and like promoting things like uh you know new episode of the podcast but not being like uh you know want to book a session with me like right there's, you know there's, dm me <laughs> right there's lines there like but i think it's also interesting from the customer perspective like i just I made the wrong call here. Like, in 2006, when I got on Twitter, I was like, I can't imagine sex workers using Twitter. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for uh, for going there. God, we went everywhere. We could have kept going. <laughs> we could have definitely <laughs> could have kept going. I'm sure that there, this is only the... Um, 
tune in next time. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, listen, um, speaking of more, 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 where can people find you? And speaking of you being a creature of the internet, oh my gosh. where can people currently find you on the internet? So uh, my own website, which is melissajiragrant.com or on Twitter, um, where I'm Melissa Jira. I'm Melissa Jira on almost all social media. If people want to follow on Instagram and see my cats. <laughs> cat singular. Where, but, you're, where you're creating a, a multi-dimensional brand based on not only your reporting, but your also, reportage about about uh, labor, but also your cats. Cats are, yeah, the labor of internet cats. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Is that your dissertation? Oh, God, no. I'm a terrible, <laughs> terrible dropout. Someone should do that. I think uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, master's degree potential there. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So in Twitter is where I fuck around. So that's probably the best place to follow me anyway. Definitely. Um, well, thanks so much for being on Wire People Tap. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to episode 20 and for being loyal listeners for all of season one. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes and on Stitcher, follow us on Twitter at Into That Podcast, and email Tina Horn at wirepeopleintothat.com to let me know what and who you want to see on the show next season. In the first episode of 2015, my guest is sex coach extraordinaire Reed Mahalko. We talked about sluts while taking a bath. So for me, you know, when I eventually lost my virginity, and we, we looked for it for about two weeks, uh-huh. we never found it, and we just gave up. I think it was behind the couch. Yeah, we yeah. mostly looked in each other's orifices. Interesting. Um, See if you could find it. Yeah, I mean, because that's there. what we thought it might be. Right. And right, it right. seemed to be thorough was to be best. Um, but what ended up happening was, you know, I would in college be in love, madly in love with, with my first. Not the first person I dated in high school. I dated some amazing people in high school, but like the first woman I fell in love with. Yeah. And then I fell in love with a second woman while I was in love with my high school sweetheart. That is not, is that possible? It, you know what, it is. I'm living proof here to test, to be a testimonial about but can it. We trust, can we trust you? I, I mean, you still don't know where you left your virginity. I don't know. Have and, you looked in the glove I, compartment? I check eBay every day uh-huh. in, in the hopes that somebody might be selling it. As always, Why Are People Into That is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tina Horn. Pine from Oakland, California did our theme song, Mistaken. And Justin Levesque designed whyarepeopleintothat.com, where you can listen to the entire archive of season one. Until next time, next year, I'll be masturbating all by myself for free.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 